Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Cindy Yu and Katie Balls. It may be recess in Westminster, but a familiar topic is back on the agenda, and that's China, with the spy balloons being shot down in America. Uh, the Prime Minister's spokesman said yesterday that uh, the RAF was ready to shoot down any balloons that came into contact in British airspace. Cindy, talk us through this story. Yeah, so about 10 days ago, a spy balloon about the the size of three buses, we're told, was shot down o- over America by President Biden. It had been spotted in the days before floating above Montana, some military bases. Everyone kind of knows the story about that. But since then, over the last weekend, there have been three more unidentified and unattributed, so we don't know if they're Chinese or not, flying objects unidentified flying objects that have been shot down by the US military, um, leading to, obviously, questions about how far and how extensive China's spy balloon programme is, whether or not they might have stuff over the UK and other countries, uh, leading to Rishi Sunak and Ben Wallace kicking start this security review into how much we actually know about what's going on above us. And Rishi Sunak saying that they'll, he'll do whatever it takes to keep the country safe. Rhetoric which I thought was slightly dramatic in the sense that I don't think the balloons are ever here to threaten you know, lives, but in the sense that they are data gathering and intelligence gathering, and we need to basically find out what kind of things they are trying to get to gather. And of course, that means that, uh, you know, Ben Wallace has been out there talking about reviewing this issue. uh, And it brings up again, questions about British defence spending. I saw earlier today that Lord Derrick, former uh, National Security Advisor, said that actually, you know, Britain couldn't shoot these things down because we didn't have the capabilities. Katie, this seems to sort of reunite the issue around defence spending, whether Britain's got enough to deal with the threats in the world as it sees them. Yes, this has been going on, I think, even prior to the story about the balloons coming back and leading the news this week, which is a row ahead of the spring budget on defence spending. Now, because Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt have been very keen to play down expectations around the entire budget, so saying, you know, no major tax cuts, you've got to focus on bringing down inflation, you're actually not seeing as many, you know, bids for things as you might uh, otherwise. But defence is clearly... uh, partly because of Ukraine, uh, also because of the impact particularly of inflation, also the fall of the pound, if you think, uh, during that part on on the MOD budget, which buys so much from America. That's all come together to uh, mean that many are now making the case that the defence spending budget will have to go up. You're now seeing, uh, you know, briefing wars was one of the times today between the Treasury and the MOD, uh, effectively accusing the MOD of not spending the money very wisely, if you look at, uh, you know, some of the schemes. And obviously raises the question of how far will the government be willing to go? Because Rishi Sunak was very notable during really just the one Tory leadership contest, given the second one, no one actually said anything publicly. But in the first Tory leadership contest, would not match people like Liz Truss when she talked about uh, raising defence spending to 3%. That was one of the reasons Ben Wallace had uh, for eventually backing Liz Truss, but he took his time there. And when Ben Wallace was appointed to Rishi Sunak's cabinet, obviously he was ready in the Royal Defence Secretary, when they chose to keep keep put there was I remember in the days before various briefings from friends of Ben Wallace saying you know he he is flexible now and the three percent um you know this wouldn't be a reason why you couldn't have him in the cabinet but you now have a situation where Ben Wallace clearly believes his department needs more money as do lots of other defense figures um and we're hearing more from this you have a situation where Ben Wallace is very popular with the Tory members, regularly tops the you know the cabinet league table on Con Home, so therefore has his own power base within the Tory party. I think um, 
you wouldn't you wouldn't want to particularly make an enemy out of Ben Wallace at a time when you're feeling vulnerable in the Tory party. And then you add to the fact that Ben Wallace, I think, is someone who clearly is, is serving in Rishi Sunak's government, but is much more in the party and is a Boris Johnson ally or even a Liz Truss ally. And it does, I think, beg the question of what happens if some of this lowering of expectations by the Treasury and number 10 is... It's not all just a, you know, a genius ploy so then they can take some rabbits out of the hat. <laughs> if this budget really does have very little in terms of what some MPs would describe as growth measures and then also does not offer much at all in terms of defence, you can start to see how, you know, w- will that be the point when the party stays united? Um, if you think about Rishi Sunak's unite or die message, or is this a point when actually these tensions start to really bubble above? Because I do think it is interesting the level of Treasury and MOD back and forth already ready and we are still you know a month away from from that spring budget and I think because Rishi Sunak is obviously battling on several fronts in terms of pay restraint on public sector pay in terms of strike workers in terms of demands for tax cuts is he going to be willing to to spend on defence the Tory leadership contest didn't suggest that it was something where he felt there had to be a particular exception I think he has quite a treasury mindset on on some of these things Um, but this is also the same prime minister who really wants to show that the UK is a friend of Ukraine, has, a, you know, the, the approach to Ukraine, for example, has not changed from the different prime ministers we've had. And therefore, there is a risk that his, his credentials are weakened if, if they don't offer much. And uh, talking of threats, uh, Liz Trust this Friday is making a speech in Japan on China. And it comes as a briefing in The Sun today that James Cleverly, the foreign secretary, is going to make a second uh, speech on China only two months after the last one. I've seen this one's trailed as being the great clarification, you know, not exactly perhaps a, a rallying cry, but it's really just kind of clear up where the government is going to stand on this issue between, you know, taking the uh, threats they see it of China seriously while also being realistic about China's role in the world. Cindy, what do you think the sort of government's positioning is on this? And um, perhaps in the context of, you know, Ukraine and also what's going on in the Tory party as well? Mm. I mean, the great clarification almost sounds quite communist, doesn't it? (laughs) It sounds like one of those um, movements. Um, So cleverly may have taken some notes from there. Uh, But I think it is interesting that this foreign secretary who came into role under Liz Truss and was very happy to peddle her very rather hardline view on China is now very much aligned with Rishi Sunak's view on China, which I think we can summarise as Biden's view on China. In all many of his public statements, he said that we'll, we'll follow the Washington's lead on this, which is that with China, it is a strategic competitor, not a strategic threat, which means that we will have to cooperate on certain areas, but on other areas, you'll have to kind of draw a line under that. And that is not the rhetoric that Rishi Sunak had during the Tory leadership. You know, he came up with these five points on China in which he did explicitly call China a threat. And you can see some trust-supporting MPs, such as Ian Duncan Smith, who are pulling out the receipts and saying, Prime Minister, this is not what you said during the Tory, Tory leadership. You, you were much more hardline on China at the time. And... As you say, James, on Friday, Liz Truss will be giving this speech in Japan organised by the Interparliamentary Alliance on China, which is aligned with Sian Duncan Smith, basically to talk about how, what the rest of the world can do about China. And that will be yet another way that this former prime minister is causing trouble for Rishi Sunak from the back benches, because the China hawks are kind of out of fashion now, as I understand, in the Conservative Party. But nevertheless, they're 
rallying cries I cause is very sympathetic and is very persuasive to a lot of members of the media, a lot of members of the public, a lot of people in the party. So Rishi Sunak has to tread carefully, I think. It's just a repeat of um, Katie's theme from last week in the cover piece about this kind of ghost of Prime Minister past that's just still backseat driving, even though there's another person in charge now. I think on the whole debate, particularly within the Tory party, about whether you should say China is a threat, remember we talked about this previously in a podcast, and I actually had quite a few... I would say it's sign of sceptic Tory MPs get in touch and say that they didn't actually feel so passionate on this topic they thought that there are a few really loud voices in the Tory party who say you've got to you know in this update to the integrated review which a lot of what this is focused on because we are expecting the next few weeks so it's trying to put pressure um in to try and put that there is actually not representative of all China hawks in the party. It is something Ian Duncan Smith feels very passionate about. Would ev- would every China hawk, even an MP who's been sanctioned by China, take the view that that is the most important thing? Actually, no. But of course, there'd be different ways they want uh, the government to be cracking down. And you look at the procurement bill. You look at the steps Rishi Sunak can take when it comes to uh, making it harder in terms of Chinese influence. I think that's wh- where more are looking at the moment. And then I think on the Liz Trust point. It's interesting going back to, obviously, what it's like just having these two very recent predecessors in the Commons. So so what influence will Liz Truss being very hawkish on China, if we, if we take that to be what is likely to happen in this speech, have? Again, I don't think it's so much that this is going to whip the, the general public up into a, well, why isn't Rishi Sunak more like Liz Truss? Um, but does it just agitate that block of Tory MPs who, who want to see more? It probably um, you know adds some more ammunition that way. But um, I think we've got to start to see, actually, which is once we get more interventions, as I think is just inevitable, given uh, what we're expecting from both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, do they reduce an impact the more you intervene or do they actually start to have, you know, caucuses or, you know, groups that are quite keen and rallying behind them? And I think we don't quite know where we are yet on that. China's one big story of the week, but the ongoing circumstances of Richard Sharp's appointment, the chairman of the BBC, is another. Today at lunchtime on The World at One, uh, Stephen Normington, the former Commissioner for Public Appointments, came out and criticised the circumstances in which we roll, saying that the ongoing row was damaging the BBC. Katie, do you think that uh, in the circumstances, there was a pretty damning report come out on Sunday from the Culture Select Committee. Do you think Richard Sharp can carry on and roll? I think the question now is, can he do his role effectively? So you have a very interesting blog on Coffee House, we'll plug, um, pointing out it's actually quite hard to ax a BBC chairman if they still have the support of the government and if they don't plan to resign. But I do think the fact that you now have a growing chorus of figures coming out, so Jonathan Dimbleby, Baroness Wheatcroft have joined uh, the groups questioning his ability to stay in position. So I think it's been much harder for him to probably do his role effectively um, if he does decide to stay on. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Cindy. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots. And you can sign up to our exclusive budget event featuring Kate Andrews, Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. It's on 15th of March and you go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash budget.